0: If you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 18 is where we are going to be. And Cody, thank you so much for sharing, man. Uh, it was a joy to serve with you. And forever etched in my brain will be that Thursday at that children's home with the director and them talking about their prayer list and saying, We just don't know a diesel mechanic. We don't know a diesel mechanic. And Cody's like, That's what I do for a living. <laughs> He's right there. Uh, God. Uh, works in incredible ways and so what a what an awesome awesome testimony. Um, Acts 18 is where we're going to be. Uh, many of you know uh, I'm a Mississippi boy. The Lord brought us. I uh, had a time in Florida. The Lord brought us here and and while we were down in Florida uh, we had some good friends. My, w- my wife's lifelong friends and uh, with uh, a lady named Katie and, and her husband Steve. I got to be good friends with him and, uh, and he was a runner and he was a marathon runner. And so uh, you all know those are different kind of runners, right? And, and this, is, this is what he's doing. And so we're making small talk at the house and, and he's like, hey man, like, I'm signing up for this half marathon coming up. You should totally run it with me. And, and I'm like, I don't know. But, but then I was like, okay, like, so here's two good things that could come out of this, right? Number one, I could make a memory uh, with a buddy of mine, you know, who doesn't like making memories. Uh, and then the other was if I sign up for this half marathon, then surely I will, uh, you know, that'll hold me accountable to preparing to actually run in that marathon. And so, um, I want to say that second one one more time. If I sign up for this half marathon and I pay money to run this race, surely that will be enough to, to, Hold me accountable to preparing to run this race, and I will say one of those two things happened, and I had a great memory with my friend. But on that day, I was not ready. I, I will never forget the day before uh, the race. the The longest kind of string of running I had done was about thirty minutes, uh, which is not the same as thirteen point one miles. and And I am I am googling on you or, or I'm on YouTube and I'm typing um how to run a half marathon with no training and I googled it and I I saw it could be done and so I was I told my lovely bride I was like do you think I can do it do you think I can just run all the way without stopping and um she didn't give me a straight answer (laughs) at that moment (laughs) but anyway it's the next morning it's 3 a.m we're at Epcot it was a a Disney run and so I'm there along with 22,000 other people who are running that same race And uh and adrenaline's a powerful thing, but adrenaline runs out at some point. And so around mile seven, the adrenaline runs out and I hit the wall. And so I had this test, like, okay, I'm I'm hitting the wall, but I'm like, just don't let your feet stop moving. Don't let your feet stop moving. Uh and and the thing about a a you know a a half marathon is if you're hitting a wall at mile seven there's still mile 8, mile 9, mile 10, mile 11, mile 12, and then the home stretch. And and so um, the run in itself was not a spiritual encounter for me, but God taught me something powerful in it. And that is this, is one of God's greatest gifts and one of God's greatest tools in the life of people is a word called encouragement. It is amazing what can happen when you surround yourself with encouragement. Here's me running this race, mile seven hitting the wall, mile eight hitting the wall, mile nine hitting the wall. But all along the way, there are people at the mile markers just like cheering you on like you're some professional runner. You got this, you got this. There's people on the side of, the, of the, the lanes there holding big signs. You got this way to go. And it's the whole way. And then as you get like about a mile out, then the crowds start getting louder and they're all cheering you on. And I, I say that because here's what I know for sure. On any other day, mark out the same path, but put me on it by myself. Guess what's going to happen at mile seven? I'm tapping out. And I'm going, to, I'm going to have all kinds of good rational reasons why I should tap out. I'm going to say, well, I, at least I got further than I thought I would. You know, I got a little bit like seven miles. That's not. Or I'll say something like, well, 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 maybe I could maybe have done better than somebody else that would have done it. Or I could have got to the point where I would be literally like, like, what's the point of this? Put me on the same path, the same route, on a different day with no people around. I'm tapping out. But put me in when there are people who are around you and who are encouraging you and encouraging you on. It's just different. It's different. And so today, what I want to share through Acts 18 is one of God's greatest gifts, and that is the gift of encouragement. Encouragement, Webster says, is uh, it's the action of giving another person support, confidence, or hope. Literally, the word encourage means, encouragement means to put courage inside of another person. One writer described encouragement as verbal sunshine that every soul needs. And again, God's, one of God's great gifts is this gift of encouragement. When Paul's writing to the Romans in Romans 12, he's talking about gifts of the Spirit. Every believer is it gifted with at least one spiritual gift to build the body, to build the church. And one of those gifts is encouragement. It's powerful. And here's what I know. We all need it. We all need it from the youngest heart to the oldest heart. We all need encouragement. And and maybe you're not uh, planning on running a half marathon anytime soon. Uh, I'm not either for what it's worth. But, But maybe you can relate to, I feel like I'm in mile seven and I have hit the wall. And you perhaps feel discouraged. You perhaps feel tired. You perhaps feel weary. You perhaps feel invisible, which isn't amazing how You can even be in a room full of people and still feel alone. You can still feel invisible. That you feel like no one understands. You feel frustrated. Perhaps you feel no one cares. Perhaps you feel all alone. And you, I, we need encouragement. And God has provided two essential sources for encouragement. And we're going to see them in Acts 18. And what I'd like to do before we start in verse 1 is I want to take a little bit of time and I just want to paint a little bit of a picture. Because where we are picking up in Acts 18, Paul is in another city. Like he is in his second missionary journey. And between the years estimated between 49 and 52 AD, first century, um, Paul is somewhere in the the age range about a 50-year-old man. And at this point in the journey, he has traveled approximately 2,000 miles by foot and about 1,000 miles by sea, all to tell the world about the hope of Jesus Christ. And when he shows up in Corinth, which is where we're at in Acts 18, he is weary. I mean, think about his journey. Antioch of Syria was his sending church, so sent he and, and, and Silas out. They head to Derby. They head to Lystra. This is a town where Timothy joins them through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia. They attempted to go to Bithynia, the Bible says, but in Acts 16, the Bible says that the Spirit of Christ did not allow them to go. And isn't that interesting? We see the rest of Acts and we see the rest of the story, but But have you ever been there? Maybe you can relate with Paul is that you, you and your heart, like, like you want this thing so bad and and you're just praying, why doesn't the door open and why does the door stay closed and you're seeking the Lord and you're not knowing why? Paul experienced the same thing. He wanted in his heart to go to Bithynia, but the spirit of Christ said, that's not my plan for you. That's not the door for you. And so he has to Troas where God gave him a vision of a Macedonian man who says, We need you. And so he makes his way to Philippi. And while he's at Philippi, there's a lady named Lydia that comes to faith in Christ. And it's in Philippi. Maybe you're familiar with the story, but he was beaten with rods and he was placed in prison. And at midnight, he and Silas are singing songs. They have been beaten for their life and they are in prison and they are singing hymns at midnight and God brings an earthquake and in that earthquake, there's a Philippian jailer. He comes to faith in Christ. His the Bible says his whole household came to faith in Christ, to which I would say how important it is as men to be those spiritual leaders in our home, to just like Lead our family to follow the Lord. And so we see this in that Philippian jailer's home and multiple times in Scripture. From there, he goes to Thessalonica. He travels over about 100 miles in about three days. And he makes it to Thessalonica. And and there, some come to faith in Christ. And then there's a religious mob. And they go to a guy named Jason's house. And they attack his house. And they pull Jason out. And they're like, where are they? They moved to Berea. And in Berea, were, the Jews were more noble there than in Thessalonica. And they eagerly received the word. And they sought out the scriptures. But it wasn't long before the religious mob made its way from Thessalonica up into Berea. And then when that happens, they put Paul on a boat and he heads to Athens. And if you were with us last week, we kind of walked through that. But this city was, was Full of idols, the Bible says. Another word would be it was smothered with idols. Smothered with idol worship. A hard, a hard soil to plant the seed of the gospel, but yet he faithfully shares. And you got Dionysius coming to faith in Christ, and Damaris and coming to Christ. And, and so you see fruit, but I'm thinking probably not the fruit that Paul would have hoped. But even in that sea of idols... It's time to move on, it's time to take the gospel on, and he finds his way to Corinth. Corinth, I, I love what how, how Tim Keller kind of helps us understand some of these biblical cities that were very powerful at that time. He says this, he says, Athens was like Boston, the intellectual center. Corinth was like New York City, the commercial center. Ephesus was like Los Angeles, a popular culture and a cult center. And Romans was like Washington, D.C. and the political center. Corinth was about 50 miles west of Athens. And so he makes this way uh, to Athens. And where where, uh, Athens was certainly a large city, Corinth was some 20 times the size of Athens. I mean, it's estimated that there were as many as 750,000 people living in what was this commerce center. Like if you look to a map or you Googled where was Corinth at, there was the, the, the region was called Achaia. And so there was kind of the mainland of Greece, a little kind of strip of land. And then the, the Peloponnesian Peninsula, which, which Corinth sat right on that little strip of land. And so what would happen is merchants would bring their ships there. And for a fee, they would cross them across dry land and Put them out in the other sea and it saves a ton of time and is super efficient. And so you just had all of these merchants that were there. Bronze work was amazing. Stone work was amazing. Uh, It was famous for all the commerce, but it was more famous for its sexual immorality that ran rampant in that place. That if Athens was a city of idols, Corinth would have been the city of sin. So much so that if somebody said... Uh, would, would, would describe somebody as Corinthian, it would be interchangeable with a sexually immoral pe- person or a drunkard. Not a, not a compliment. And in every Greek city, there would be a high place. And on that high place, it was called the Acropolis. And on the Acropolis of every Greek city, there was a temple that was built to the patron false little G-God of that city. For Athens, it was Athena. And for Uh, For Corinth, it was Aphrodite, the goddess of sexual love, sat about 1,900 uh, feet above the city. And in the evening, that temple would would hold some 1,000 priestess prostitutes that would come down in the evening hours to entice worship. It was said that the city slogan of Corinth was not every fellow can afford a trip to Corinth. And it wasn't speaking of financial costs, it was talking about the moral cost. That this was a place that was dripping with immorality, it was morally bankrupt. And this is where Paul shows up, after these many thousands of miles, and by the way, he shows up in Corinth all by himself. Timothy and Silas, they had to go into Macedonia to take care of some other things, and so here is Paul showing up to this place all by himself. He is weary, he is tired, he is in an extremely challenging culture, and perhaps you can relate an extremely challenging culture. Even Paul would write a letter to the Corinthians, first Corinthians, he wrote that letter to the church at Corinth, and he wrote it while he was in Ephesus. But listen to what he says in first corinthians two three Paul says this. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Like, Paul said that? Paul said that. Paul had struggles. Paul was weary. Paul had fears. And even the apostle, courageous, bold Paul needed encouragement. And in this mission trip to Corinth, again, we're going to see these two crucial sources and so perhaps you're here and you're in the room and you can relate in the sense of you are weary you are tired you are struggling and perhaps even fearful about some things that perhaps might be coming your way and to which I would encourage us that encouragement is near and we're going to see it in the text and we're going to see how it practically applies to our lives and so the first encouragement is this Encouragement is found in relationship with God's family. Relationship is found in rela- or encouragement is found in relationship with God's family. Chapter 18 verse one says, "After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. He's tired, he's weary, and listen, he's all by himself. He's all by himself. Verse two says, and he, Paul, found a Jew named Aquila and a, a native of Pontus recently from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So they're in Rome, Claudius is the ruler uh, and there's certainly some background and history around what would have led to this kind of uh, this banishment of Jews and even Jew uh, Jewish believers uh, in the Messiah. And so so. Priscilla and Aquila have, have left Rome. They have been exiled from Rome and they have landed in Corinth. And this is where they're at. The Bible says in verse 2, says Paul went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. And he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. I love the providence of God. I love the providence of God. I believe with all my heart, Romans chapter 8, 28-29, that we know that God works all things together for the good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. And in this moment in Paul's life, at a point of discouragement and fear and struggle in the providence of God, God has brought together who will become lifelong ministry friends and partners. Like in the mess and in the midst and in the pain and in the brokenness, God brings together this this community that they both desperately need. We need godly friendships just like Paul. And so God didn't, Created us to be Lone Rangers. Y'all have seen that show maybe back in the day, Lone Rangers. But he had Tonto. Like, he wasn't alone. And so, God's designed us for community. And I love Aquila and Priscilla. They're fascinating to me. One, their names rhyme, which is amazing. (laughs) I love that. And every time you read about them in Scripture, they're always together. Like, in Scripture, they're mentioned in Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Timothy 4. I mean, they're, they're solid. They are not perfect, uh, not a perfect couple, not perfect people, but they are solid believers. They're the kind of believers that we need in our lives, especially when we are looking at discouragement. We gather from all these texts that they had a strong marriage and their marriage was built on living on mission for God. At the end of Acts 18, we won't get there today, but if you fast forward, they make it to Ephesus and you see uh, Priscilla and Aquila like they are investing in Apollos in a, a that happens to be there in the city and he needed some investment. And so they weren't out there in front of everybody to say, hey, everybody, we're having a meeting and we're going to disciple this guy. You just see them doing what they do because they are a couple living on mission together. Romans 16, Paul says they are co-workers in Christ and risk their own necks. And so you get this picture, too, of this couple who sacrificially invested in other people, loving other people, opening their home for Paul. Come to find out, Aquila and Priscilla, they evidently are are people of means. They are uh, business people. They're tent makers. And so they are making their business there in Corinth after they've been exiled. And so here's, again, providence of God. Here's, Here's Paul. He's a leather worker, too. And, and they open their home and he stays with them. like he, They are so generous. They're just opening their home. They would open their home in Corinth. They would open their home to Apollos. They would open their home in Ephesus. They would open their home in Car- or Rome. Wherever they were, they, they opened their home. And what I love is this, is they were marketplace Christians invested in the mission of God. Because we're all called as believers to live on mission for Him, to live for His glory and to live for His mission. That is our why. And that's our why as a church. God help us to never lose sight of that and to always stay anchored to that. But the Holy Spirit will play out the application of that in all kinds of different ways. He absolutely does call uh, pastors, calls full time vocational ministry pastors. And he also calls bivocational pastors. In this text, at least at this point of the journey, Paul is a bivocational pastor. He's a tent maker through the week. He's reasoning in the synagogue on Sabbath. And he is working and serving. And and you also have people like Priscilla and Aquila that I love. They're business people. They open their home. They're living on mission for God. They're, they're, They're people of means, but they're all in on the mission of God. And so the encouragement is, is whatever you do, God has provided, gifted, called you, placed you for this time, this season, and that place for mission. And so this is what we see in their lives. And so Priscilla and Aquila, can't you imagine the breath of fresh air they were for Paul? And then the Bible says that Silas and Timothy came back from Macedonia, and so now they're here. And so here's Paul, and his life is now connected with this incredible small group of believers. To which we take that same truth and plant it in the 21st century. And the truth remains the same. We need others. God's designed us for community. One Lifeway study, and there's a million statistics out there, but one study showed that believers who are connected in a meaningful small group with other believers say they feel closer to God, they're more committed to the life of The church, they understand the Bible better. They trust God more. They become more loving in their relationships. They share their faith more. They give more. They're more relational. People in groups serve more. People in groups pray more. Ed Stetzer says this. He says, God has supernaturally ordained community to sanctify His people. We all need the encouragement that is found in the family of God. Verse 6 says, When they opposed and reviled him, the Jews in the synagogue, he shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so Paul has been faithful. Paul can't change a heart. We can't change a heart. We just need to be faithful to be a witness for the Lord wherever we are. But for Paul, he has been faithful to his mission to share faithfully. But their hard heartedness. And reviling him. And rejecting him. If you've ever gotten up from the table after a big crummy meal. And you've just gotten up and you've just done this right here. And you're out the door. You're like I'm done. Or maybe you eat the crumbs. <laughs> you don't want a bite to go away. But whatever it is. This is what Paul's saying. I- I'm done. I've been faithful. Hard hearted. Reviling. He leaves. And he goes out. The door in verse seven, he says, and he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, and his house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. What a day! What a day! Together with his entire household, there's another family, a, a family of faith, coming to faith in Christ. And he says, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed. And were baptized. And in just this short amount of time. Aquila, Priscilla, Silas, Timothy, Paul, now Justice, Christus and his family are here. And many of the Corinthians believed. And can't you imagine the the folks in the synagogue just kind of looking out the door. Looking through the window. And like "What, what is going on next door? But don't forget Paul is in a challenging season. He's in a challenging season, and we need encouragement. And maybe you're in a challenging season, and you're in a challenging place. Perhaps, obviously not apples and apples, but this is where Paul is, and he needed encouragement, and we do too. Encouragement is found in relationship with God's family. But most importantly, encouragement is found in a relationship with God Himself. Look at verse 9. The Bible says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision... Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. I love this. I love that the sovereign creator sees one of his faithful servants who he loves and who he cares for and he sees where Paul is in the journey and he speaks a word of life into this brother who desperately needed it. He desperately needed it. Our greatest encouragement in this life comes through a personal relationship with Jesus. And in that little vision, I don't know how long it lasted, but we know we have the word. And we see three very specific things that God invested into his life. In that vision. And one was this. He promises his presence. Verse 9 into 10 says. Do not be afraid. But go on speaking. And do not be silent. For I am with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never. How's it go? Forsake you. He grabs his disciples there after his resurrection, Galilean mountainside. He has just spoken into their lives to go make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all things that I have commanded. And lo or behold, I am with you to the end of the age. What does Jesus tell those those disciples there on the Mount of Olives just before he's ascended back into heaven, Acts 1.8? He says, you are going to receive power when my spirit comes upon you. And so as believers, we have the gift of his Holy Spirit, the gift of his presence. I am with you always. But what can be dangerous at times is when we kind of put the truth of God or even the facts of God's word. And we kind of, we kind of segment it or compartmentalize it a little bit and we set it to the side Because we are emotional people and feelings are real. And God has created us with feelings. They're a gift from the Lord. There are times when our feelings can get the best of us. There are times when our feelings can lead us into places, say things, do things that we just wish I could have back. Um, And so, so what God is communicating to Paul is he's like, listen, I'm with you. You hang on to that. And you let this truth drive your life. Don't let your emotional depletion lead you right now. There's a a Bill Bright wrote a great gospel track. It's called The the Wonderful Discovery of the Spirit-Filled Life. Maybe you've seen it. I love that little track. But he draws a picture on it and it's of a train. And I want to show you this picture of a train because it helps connect with this truth in that... Like, this is, this is the way our lives should be lived out. In other words, we're all driven by an engine. There is something, maybe it's our flesh, maybe it's our emotions, maybe it's the truth of God's Word, that it leads our lives. And then, then our faithful obedience or action or response to, to what's driving the bus follows closely behind. And then you have... The, whether it would be feelings or truth. Some people lead their lives. And there are times. Perhaps we all lead our lives. When feelings drive us. And then our our reactions. Our faith in, in those feelings. Kind of follow that. And truth is, is a part of the picture. But it's, it's in the caboose. But rather as believers. That we would yield our lives to God's word. And God's spirit. And God's voice. And that no matter what else has happened. We let his truth. His facts drive us. We follow in faithful obedience. And if the feelings come, that's great. But they don't drive us. We rest in the truth of God's word. So he invests the promise of his presence. And he also, he also inve- I'm sorry, he, he he offers his presence, but then he also assures him of his protection. Of his protection, verse 10 says, "For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you." Paul needed to hear that in that, in that moment. Now, this wasn't a blanket once and for all. nobody's ever going to hurt you, Paul. If you know the testimony of Paul, you know. you know his life, you know his struggles. Even in second uh, Corinthians chapter 11 23 through 29 Paul describes his life like this to the Corinthians he says I was in far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. But for Paul, God gave him a word that he needed in that moment and the word was nobody is going to harm you in this place and gives him incredible encouragement and his word is true and he linked his life on to that truth and he trusted and followed the lord with all his heart so you see that presence that protection a third thing is you see his plan he promises his plan God always has a plan God always has a plan. You remember, I remember growing up, I had several people in church, and God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. He has a plan for our life. In verse 10, the Lord says this. He says, For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And I love that, because I don't know exactly how Paul processed that, but he could have been like, okay, Priscilla, Aquila, Silas, Timothy, me, Christus, Justice, his family. That doesn't feel like many. <laughs> I mean, and so there, there's, this, there's this little bit of like, like what, what what's going on? And what God is doing is He is speaking out of His foreknowledge that there are those in that city that will come to faith in Christ as they are faithful With the gospel ministry that he entrusted to their care. And so, trusting God's word, they follow. And God blessed. God blessed in amazing ways. And so, I believe that there are people in our community. And in our neighboring communities. That I believe with all of my heart that there are people who will come to faith in Christ as we are faithful as the church, to be faithful, to be a witness, to share the good news of Jesus. And so as believers, we have the gift of His presence under His compassionate care and protection and knowing that He will be faithful to work out all things together for the good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose and His plan through our lives. And so what happened, and I I wrap up in verse 11, I love this. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. Up to this point, this is the longest stint that Paul has stayed in one place. It's not the longest. He'll, he'll stay in Ephesus longer. But, but up to this point, he stayed 18 months in this place. And I, I, obviously, uh, we have the Word. We have the whole picture, the whole story. But I can't help but think of what ifs. Okay so what if what if Paul lands in Corinth all by himself all alone what he would have missed out on had his life not connected with Priscilla and Aquila and and what what might have happened or could have happened if Paul was not settled in his heart that the Lord's voice was more important than any other voice. And that he yielded his heart to seek the Lord and to hear the Lord's voice and to be obedient to the Lord's voice. Could it be? Could it be? We, we don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know every single one of us need encouragement. And I know Paul needed encouragement too. And I know that God has provided at least two sources Of that encouragement that are just within our reach. And it is the encouragement found when you connect your life with other believers. And it is when we yield ourselves investing time in our personal relationship with the Lord. And as we do. I believe a believer with an encouraged heart. Will be perhaps much more effective than a depleted heart. And it could be possible, I mentioned it, to be in a room full of people, and still feel alone. And so the encouragement here is as believers, that we would trust the Lord and that we would invest in those relationships. And invest in our relationship with Him. Psalm 56, 3 and 4 says, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And God, whose word I praise and God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do, do to me? So we all need encouragement. And God has graciously provided this gift through His family, brothers and sisters in Christ, and through a personal relationship with Him. And I would just say this for what it's worth. And this will be my big, if I had a big red flag, I would wave it. And it would be the big red flag of don't live life in isolation. I believe that isolation is the enemy's playground. And that as you starve your life from godly, spirit-giving, life-giving relationships, what happens is... It becomes a playground for the enemy to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he will not let up. And he will do everything he can to be the loudest voice in your life. And so for the believers in the room. May we be encouragers. Everybody needs it. It is within our power. Think about this right now. Every single one of you. You need encouragement. And every single one of you. And every single one of us, we know somebody who needs encouragement. And it is within our power, God has given within our power, His Spirit, His strength, the the ability to put courage into another person, to put hope into another person, and to put confidence in another person. That it could be that God would use you to minister to somebody who is in a point of need that desperately needs an encouraging word. But then it could also be if you're in the room and you're in need of that to, to 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 as hard as it is and as uncomfortable as it might be. And as much as you wish somebody would just seek you out and, and 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 pour into you, that perhaps by God's grace, it's taking a step. And perhaps as a lady that is going to a godly female that, you know, loves the Lord and loves you and just say, I need I need somebody to walk alongside or as a guy, I'm a guy and I get guys, I, I get the struggles. None of us, none of us love weakness. None of us love to to air out our our struggles. But the reality is, is that God has designed us to to walk through this life with others in community. And so it could be that you are walking alone. And the Holy Spirit is saying, you have been walking alone too long, and it's time. Reach out to that godly man. Reach out to that godly guy who you know loves God and loves you, and just share. It could be stepping into a Sunday school group. 9.15, we just wrapped up Sunday school hour. I had the blessing to be able to sit in a group this morning, and here's the thing. My Sunday is different because I was in that group last hour. God uses it. And so it might be Sunday school or it might be we have D groups as well. These are just more gender specific, just walking through the word groups. But we need we need encouragement. We love to walk alongside you in that. We'd love to help you. Perhaps that's your step. Perhaps it's taking a step into a more meaningful, quiet time. I've never met a believer that says I shouldn't spend more intentional time in prayer in the word. We all need that. But it's another thing to be like, OK, I'm going to arrange my life in such a way. That I'm going to prioritize this above these lesser things. And I'm going to trust the Lord and lean into that. And it could be that perhaps your step today isn't to reach out to a brother or reach out to a sister or to step into a group or to have a quiet time. It could be you need to step into a relationship with Jesus and experience His grace and His forgiveness and His salvation. He's the only way. He said it, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. And, And today, God, through His Word, through the power of His Spirit, once again is extending an invitation into a relationship. And I've shared this at different times, but the temptation can be the whisper of the enemy. What will people say? What will people think? There's some stuff I just need to get right in my life. Before I come to the Lord. And the reality is. is You will be working on those things. Until either you breathe your last breath. Or Christ returns. He accepts us where we are. And then by his grace and his power. Gives us the strength. To be transformed more and more into his image. And so if you are here today. Apart from a relationship. May I encourage you. Today is the day of salvation. And just as Paul would walk along. Travel through those cities. That there would. In some places be a few. In some places there would be many. But that those who were receptive and hungry and eager to receive God's grace and forgiveness. And perhaps that's you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of a life lived surrendered to you. Here's this 50 year old ish man completely sold out to you. And he finds himself being led by you, surrendered to you, all across the, the Roman Empire of that time. But God, that here he is in this city called Corinth, overwhelmed, he had to be, of the lostness and the, the, the depravity of that city, just could be overwhelming. And no doubt weary and tired from all of the travels. But yet in that place and in that time and in your providence. Here is Priscilla and Aquila. And that through your encouragement through the body and through your word. The encouragement through relationship with you God. He continued to thrive. And the church grew. And Father I pray for believers. That we would be encouragers. God, we have the power to speak hope, confidence, and courage in others' lives. By your grace, may we be faithful in that, pointing them to you. And God, I pray for anyone who needs to take a step into encouragement, seeking out a person. I know it can be hard, but God, give them the strength. Perhaps it's stepping into community like a Sunday school group. I don't know anybody. I'm new. All the push those things aside. We need each other. That you'll give the grace to take those steps. I pray for all of us as believers, God. We we know we can always be more intentional with our time. So God, knowing that ultimately you're the greatest encouragement, your Spirit living in us, residing in us. And so God, may we be disciplined to open your Word and soak our hearts. In your Father, today for anyone who's here who has never begun a relationship with you, that Father, today would be the day of salvation. Pushing excuses to the side. Pushing the I'll wait next time to the side. Pushing the I need to get these things right in my life before all those things aside, God. Your word says that you so love the world. That you gave your one and only son that whosoever would believe in you would have everlasting life. God, I pray for that sinner who is weak and living life in their own strength. That today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day of acknowledging their sin, repenting of their sin, and surrendering to you, King Jesus, as Lord of their lives. Trusting your sacrificial life, death, and resurrection. And experience your grace, your amazing grace, and your love, and your forgiveness, and your compassion, and your care. The greatest encouragement any of us could ever receive is through a relationship with you. So God, we love you and pray that you would be honored today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're going to have a song. Don't invite you to stand with me. We'll have pastors here. If you need someone to encourage you through prayer, allow us to pray over you altars open perhaps there in your seat but let's be sensitive to how the lord would want to lead us